It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Friday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Great to have you with us on the show. First of the month, my little saying from the calendar. I love them. I really do. Divine Word Missionaries, they send me a calendar every year. Well, it's sent to me by some lovely listeners. It says, for September, we are all travellers in the wilderness of this world. And the best that we can find in our travels is an honest friend. Nothing truer, nothing truer than that, to be sure. And an honest friend of mine is Miss Louise Walsh. I want to ask you something. School's back this week. Mm -hmm. Lunch is to be made. You're at it yourself at home. I hate making lunches. (laughs) I know, it's the bane of of so many families' lives. Did you have a lunchbox when you were going to school? No, I never had a lunchbox, nor a bottle. And, you know, I'm before you, of course, not, not in our day for sure. But I, uh, but I told you, see, we walked to school, mm. came home for dinner, walked back and then came home in the evening. So there wasn't a lunch really in question from our perspective. So you hadn't a lunchbox. So what, no. did, you, what did you do? What did you bring? Oh, it was just literally a sandwich. Was or it. sandwich wrapped. Everything was wrapped in tinfoil. Right. Wrapped in tinfoil and in the bottom of the bag. So... Yeah, we were very, very lucky. Mum used to make a lovely salad sandwich or salad roll if we were really lucky. Mm. And if it was your birthday, you might get a Vienna roll. Ooh, Even nicer. You posh people over mm, there in Navin. Really nice. <laughs> ham sandwiches. Um, yeah, ham sandwiches or salad were the main thing. Egg, bit smelly. <laughs> and woe betide your poor school bag if you brought tuna or especially tomato because by the time you pulled them out at lunchtime your bread would be completely soggy and there'd be remnants of banana and everything on your books. (laughs) What about banana? You mentioned banana. Banana sandwiches. Do you ever have those? But but they'd go off colour. They'd go black, wouldn't they? Yeah, and soggy. Yeah, that's the thing about them. But I know... Man and butter sandwiches. I love egg egg and onion. I love egg and onion sandwiches. But you're right, when you enclose them and then take them out, it's like a stink bomb. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. When you have the egg sandwiches. So that was your run. Oh, you had a good selection there, I have to say. Well, a lady is waiting patiently on the line to talk to us. She's from the Cool Food School. We've spoken to her in the past. Deirdre Doyle, welcome back to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Jerry. Yeah, it's that time of year again. It is indeed. And, you know, you heard us reminiscing there about yesteryear. The lunchbox, though, is an important part of children's, you know, schooling now that they get the proper nutrition and good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also think that we need to be mindful that we're not stressing too much about the school lunches. Mm. Because I was talking actually on another radio show this morning and a listener uh, 
messaged in and said that they were overwhelmed with all the beautiful lunches on Instagram and they felt that they weren't doing the right thing by giving their child the same lunch over and over and over again. But I actually think that it's actually more important for the child to eat the lunch that they that they're given. So sometimes those beautiful Instagram lunches are just not what the kids are going to eat. So it's more important that they eat what they're given. And with that in mind, I've been checking you out and I think uh, what you've done (laughs) is absolutely brilliant. You are encouraging parents and people who rear children and look after them to let them make their own lunches. Absolutely, 100%. Because that there's a whole load of advantages to letting the kids make their own school lunches. First and foremost, it means that we, the parents, don't have to do it. That might have been my sole motivation in the beginning, to be honest. But I'm a massive advocate of getting kids involved in the kitchen because it is the best way to teach them about food. End of story. And at the end of the day, kids, like everybody have to eat three, four, five times a day. They need to know about food. They need to know where their food comes from. They need to be used to handling it. They need to know how to, what to do with it mm. in the kitchen. So their school lunch is a really simple first meal that they can start learning about food with. And I, my eldest, sorry, my youngest son now is 12 and I have not made a school lunch for him in six years. So he started when he was about six. Wow, that that is some uh, claim to fame, may I say to you. Louise is still <laughs> listening in here. Let me let me bring Louise in on this. Mammy makes the lunches, I'm sure, in Louise's home. Yeah. Uh, but you, I think, you know, and I'll put this to both of you, it could be bedlam if you let them at it. Could it, Louise? <laughs> oh, no. I'd be finding pieces of butter in the cutlery drawer and it would take me half a day... And I, and I, and then you'd find that they just have gone without even bringing the lunches. So, like, you know, in our yeah. house, it really is just, it, it's awful. They won't bring anything normal. Like, I, I just like sending apples just in their school bag to get them out of the house for the day. Give the apples a bit of fresh air because they come back <laughs> every day. The boomerang o'clock. apple. The boomerang <laughs> apple always comes back. Yeah. With so, a bit of yeah. fresh air. So, how, you, know, you know what we're getting at here, Deirdre? Like, it's fair juice to you and well done to your son and anyone that can. How do you get them, you know, to do this? And they're not, you know, they're always running late with breakfast, getting up from bed in the mornings. Do you do it the evening before? Do you do it before they go to school? Do you pull them out of bed early or what? Well, I, in my house, we've always made them the night before because when you're already, the kitchen's a mess. And I know, I hear you, Louise, I know kids are messy in the kitchen. Kids are messy, doesn't matter what they're doing. If they're in the bath, they're messy. If they're painting, they're messy. If they're out in the back garden playing with toys, they're messy. The kitchen is just another place for them to be messy. Mm. But they learn so much in the kitchen. They learn, like children learn through play and playing with food and being around food. So if we want our children to have a good relationship with food moving forward, it's important to let them be around food in, you know, a non-threatening environment. And by that, I I don't mean, um, you know, the carrot kind (laughs) of... But but like in in an environment where they're not being told to sit down and eat that carrot and don't get up off your feet and you've eaten all the carrots, you know? Yes, I'm I'm just looking at them with the knives, the children. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about threatening environments. But uh, I was on a different different angle altogether. You're on a different angle, yeah, yeah, yeah. But seriously, like, you know, when it comes to the lunchbox, can can you vary it, Louise? You know, because for a lot of people, I put it to 
the two of you. The ham sandwich is the, the easiest thing in the world. White bread, mm. ham, sambo done. Can you switch it around, Louise? Do you? Do you rotate on, with the sambos? I do try, but mm. je- it normally comes back to ham sandwiches or ham wraps or ham rolls. I've tried to get a bit of chicken into them now, or but that's as far as it goes. And mm. then you have to have the invariable something else like crackers or yeah with jam or something like that mm. so come yeah. on we need your help Derda how do you you know <laughs> have a different sambo for each day of the week that they'll eat well look how realistic is that I think right my advice to parents would be and actually it's funny because I did a little poll on my Instagram when I knew I was coming on to talk to you about lunch boxes of yesteryear and I think the majority of people who answered had had the same thing in their lunchbox for eight years in primary school. <laughs> so <laughs> even back then it was going on, you know? Yeah. Um, so my advice to parents is, so what if they bring the same thing in for lunch every day? I know we want to give them variety, but is that because we, we want it, our lunchboxes to look like Instagram lunchboxes? But at the end of the day, we need... The reason why we're sending lunch into school with our kids is so that they'll eat it to give them the energy they need to last the day. If we're sending a lunch in that they're not going to eat, well, then they're not getting the energy from that food. Mm. So it's pointless. So it's much better that they eat something than that they, they, you know, it's much better that they get the same lunch every day that they are actually going to eat than we send some amazing um, lunch in that's taken us 40 minutes to prepare and that they don't eat. So what I say is to maybe make sure that they're having a really good, healthy breakfast and a really good after school when they come home. We have something ready for them that's full of nutrition, like a homemade soup or even a lovely, you know, shop-bought soup that's full of uh, veggies or whatever, or, um, you know, your homemade whatever, healthy muffins or, or whatever you you can get into them at that time mm. um, and not to be stressing too much about the lunchbox because also in school there's a lot of things going on for the kids it's not they don't have a lot of time to eat which is a massive issue yes. um, and they're sitting around with all their peers and who knows what their peers are saying about A what's the food that's in their lunch mm. you know that goes on a bit Um there could be something in their lunchbox that they can't even open. So like fruits or something like that that they can't open. So I, I, my advice this year is to keep it simple. Give them something that you know that they'll eat. And that's why if they make their own lunches, they will eat them because they know what's in it. Um, and to keep the variety for at home when there's more. Yeah. When it's when there's more time and there's more. um there's more chance that they might actually eat it at home. I really like you because you are (laughs) just an absolute practical person. And that's the best advice, Louise, I've probably ever heard in this. Instead of beating yourself up. With hummus and and chopped up different (laughs) carrots and celery. (laughs) Will you stop? And then, then, you know, as you say, sending them out with the threat, don't bring that back. (laughs) Do not bring that back. So who knows what they're doing? It could go in the ditch. It could go in the bin. You don't know. You really don't know. And you're right. And I love what you say. Children's job. I'm a kid. That's my job. I have to be messy no matter what I do. It's a simple and sometimes less is more because as you say they don't get time and they prefer to spend it playing I love this yeah 
I love this. My um, on. well, on. when my kids started primary school first, and uh, about a week, a couple of weeks into it, and we've got, uh, you know, all the parents got the new parents got called into the school to have a meeting with the principal to see how everything was going, and he was like, "Listen here now, the school lunches." He said, "You're sending enough food in to feed a builder." let alone for a little child who has about five minutes to get something into them yes. that you need. And that's very overwhelming for a child to have all that food yes. um, in their lunchbox. So I, it's hard to get it right because some days they're going to be more hungry than others. But I would err a little bit on the side of less food and see how they feel coming home from school if they're absolutely hangry, which they can be, and then give them a little bit extra. But giving them loads, I think, can be counterproductive because it's just going to be overwhelming for them so keep it small and um if that's if they're coming home hungry give them a bit more then well said well said and leave the jumbo breakfast roll to the builders as Deirdre says (laughs) Deirdre Doyle check her out the cool food school Deirdre Doyle check her out brilliant you have a wonderful website I absolutely love it thank you for joining me on the show thank you so much thanks a million thank you so much guys take care bye that's Deirdre Doyle there so that's the soundest advice I've heard on this show for a long time short break and we have a lovely story afterwards a little girl called Millie Byrne started school today it's a miracle Millie Byrne went to school today it's a miracle her mum Charlene is on the line hi Charlene hello Jerry. how are you I'm really good happy family today oh very happy family today a, a bit of a celebration alright yeah <laughs> I hear her there she's beside <laughs> as well I'll have a chat with her in a moment I spoke yeah, I spoke to you oh. were you in the UK at the time when yeah you were waiting for well, all we this to happen. Transplant. Yeah, we were waiting. That was down. We were in the Freeman waiting on, on ward of uh, transplant at that stage. And the the fundraiser was up and going at that stage as well. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a while back now. It certainly is. Just to tell our listeners again, she was fine, Millie, until what? She was about 20 months old? Yeah, she was just 20 months old. And then kind of in the space of kind of a day, we'd say, but definitely 12 hours, she just became unwell. Um, we thought it was just the regular cold and flus and, you know, I thought she had pneumonia, but it ended up being a lot more um, severe than that. It ended up being a heart failure in the end. So, um, yeah, it was a bit of a shock to us at the time. We we probably didn't really expect it back then. And, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a, a massive shock. But, you know, really what we didn't know back then and what we know now, we knew what we knew back then, you know, I think it'd be it'd be harder. I think the unknown was a little bit um, kind of. I don't know how you would how you. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. You know? If you knew how sick she was exactly. and how yeah. on uh, the cusp of life and death your little girl was, it yeah. would you, you, you probably couldn't have coped with it at all. But look, at one stage, wasn't she? I think it was said she was the sickest child in Ireland. Yeah, so initially when she was admitted from, um, she moved from Drogheda to Crumlin, and then when she was in Crumlin, they realised then that her um, her heart had failed. So she was in heart failure, and she was, you know, starting to run into a few more other problems with her organs and bits and pieces. So at the time, they electively put her on life support, and I remember one of the, the nurse managers had said to us that, you know, she was the sickest child in Ireland at the time, so... Mm. You know, any child that is in an ICU that has to go on life support is very, very, very sick. So, you know, those words always stuck with me, you know, and even even today now, looking at her, you know, you'd never think back to yes. where she was and where she is now, you yeah. know. So it's, it's 
It is a miracle, but it's, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. And as you said, you were transferred then from uh, Dublin to the Freeman Hospital in the UK, where she was yeah, fitted we with this uh, Berlin Heart Assist device yeah. that kept really her heart and her going, waiting on a transplant. In a yeah. way, God smiled on you. The transplant came quicker than you might ever have expected. Oh, yeah, way quicker now. We were told, we so we landed over there in the depth of COVID, in the week that COVID had hit, and, you know, everything had shut down, you know, the, the elective surgeries and everything, even in the hospital when we landed first, had been cancelled, and it was just crazy. And then getting talking to the transplant team in, in the UK, and the Freeman was, you know, they were telling us that the donor pool was down because there was, there was no activities with children, so to speak, uh, with, you know, there was no accidents, there was no casualties, you know, and the donor pool was down even at that stage before COVID had hit. So the likelihood of us even getting a donor match within a year was maybe unlikely, but, uh, you know, four months in and we got that call one morning and it was just like, it was unbelievable. It was very unbelievable at the time, but, you know, Things moved quite quickly that day and within probably 12 to 14 hours after we were heading down to theatre with our wee woman to have her transplant, which was, you know, surreal but real. Yes, fantastic. And of course she received the heart. It was a little larger, I know, than her actual small body could take, but they worked with that. But she wasn't by no means out of the woods. No, no, she wasn't out of the woods. Now, in 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 my description of it, I would nearly have said that probably post transplant she could have been a little bit sicker than she, what she was pre transplant. Now, her quality of life pre transplant on the Berlin Heart was was absolutely fantastic. You know, she was she was brilliant. She done everything that any other child would do while being in hospital. She painted, she coloured, she played, she she done everything. The team over there, the specialised, uh, trained play therapist, to come in with the children every day. You know, and she had her slots every day, and it was, it was lovely. And then all of a sudden, she was, you know, into the depth of the of the transplant. And then, um, you know, for weeks after, she was kind of still kind of unconscious and conscious. And then in the end, they realised then obviously the the transplanted uh, organ that she got the heart was a little bit bigger than what our own mm. was. So had respiratory problems in the end so after I think about two about two two to three weeks after they realised then that the only solution to to her kind of recovering and kind of getting on with recovery was to give her a tracheostomy so she yes. she got a tracheostomy three weeks after transplant and it brought her on in leaps and bounds now mm. I know initially when they said it first myself and my husband Gavin was like you know, she didn't. She doesn't need it. You know, she she doesn't have respiratory problems. But initially, she did in the end with yeah. the, with the size of the heart. So, but she's she's fantastic now. You know, it it brought her to where she was and yeah. it was exactly what she needed. You know. Mm, oh, thank God! Is she beside you? Is she? Would she have I a little? Grab her. Would you have yeah. a little word with me? Would she? She went. She went. Hi, Millie. Hi, second. Do you want to say hello to Jerry? Hi, Millie. Say hello, Jerry. Oh, come on, say hi. You're on the radio. <laughs> you say hello. Hi, Millie. Hi. Hi. How are you? Are How you, are you? Are you good? Yeah. Did you love your first day at school, Millie? Had you your first day at school today? Yeah. Yes. Where did you go to school? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> she's got all Are you starstruck? she's starstruck on late lunch on LMFM radio isn't that fantastic well good on her and that's a, that's the proper girl to get our lunch into her school breed oh, Muller Rafferty Carrick McCross she started yeah. in today and yeah. it is a wonderful day for all of you for yourself Gavin and her siblings Molly Megan and Dylan as well what a day for the family Charlene fantastic day yeah a day that you know, we dreamt of and we got it. We're here. It's another. It's another first. It's another milestone. And you know, she's at the she's at the best of what she can be now. And mm. you know, please God, that'll be the ongoing future for her. And you know, and I thought, you know. Yeah, oh, it is just fantastic. One mm-hmm. one last question: yeah. when you when you are the recipient, uh, uh, you know, from a donor, do you ever mm-hmm. know? No, you... not initially. Yeah, no, yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. know anything about the donor yes. as of such. We obviously we know it's it's a it's a child, but nothing about the donor. You know, yeah. you can inquire, yeah. but you're already mm. told minimal stuff about the donor. You initially have to. You have to write your letter to the donor and it goes yes. through the process of going through the transplant team yeah. and it's up to the donor family if they want to communicate back. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's not a place where I have gone to yet. Yes, so, I know. And that's that that can be know, with time or at any stage. But like, yeah. God Almighty, God bless that person who gave life yeah. to many others, I'm sure. Uh, oh, absolutely. And, and as I just say, I, I hug two children going to bed every night. I don't just hug my own. Yes. I hug, you know, it's, it's, it's a yeah. blessing and, you know, it's, what they have done is wonderful, amazing. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Anyway, great to talk to you today. It's a really Lovely good news story. Good luck to Millie with school and all of you. Thanks a million, Charlene. Thanks, Barry. All the best. Bye-bye. Talking about a classic TV theme, I have some classic gentlemen with me in the show today. My God, have I legends in music on late lunch. I'm delighted to say hello to Jerry Cullen and Jerry O'Connor. Welcome, boys, to the show. It's the Jerry. It's the, <laughs> the Jerry. Jerry show. The Jerry show. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry. I just the, realized. the Merry Jerry's. Yeah, there's three of us around the day. Anyway, boys, you're here for a very special reason. I just want to tell listeners that Sean Corcoran, who passed away back in May 2021, was an absolutely talented man from many aspects. But music was a huge, huge part of his life. And next weekend in Drogheda, his hometown, from Friday until Sunday, the inaugural Sean Corcoran series is taking place. And the boys are here to chat about it too. Jerry Cullen, Sean Corkin, come on, for our listeners today, you knew him from a young age. I did, I did, Jerry. I met Sean for the first time. We joined St. Peter's Choir on the Eugene Mooney when I was seven. And Sean was there, thereabouts now. He'd, he'd just the edge in me about a couple of months now in age. So we were always very particular about that, who was young and who wasn't. So I didn't uh, know Sean that well at that time, just to the singing of the Latin chants and the Gregorian chants and doing the, the old uh, dead masses and everything. And uh, he went to the same, the Christian, Christian Brothers, I went to the Paddies. And so it, uh, after, for secondary school, I went to uh, St. Joe's. And that's where I met Sean okay. then. And there's a whole gang of us from first year up to sixth year who were, for some reason or other, whatever was in the water at the time, Jerry, there was a whole gang that were interested in traditional music. And the Clancy Brothers were coming out. Bob Dylan was coming out. There was a lot of folk pro- programs on, on BBC. Eamon Campbell was in our class. Eamon played in the show bands and then in, in with the Dubliners. Nicky, Nicky Carolyn, who, 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 uh, who set up the Irish Traditional Music Archive in yes. Dublin. Very, very uh, huge man in traditional music. Uh, Brian Leahy, who used to sing with me in harmony and stuff. Great, great, myself and Sean and... 
Brian were inseparable mm. uh, when we were young. There was uh, Jim McArdle, there was Sean Faulkner coming up the year after us, Frank Mooney. There was probably about 10 or 15. And a lot of these men have released uh, CDs and everything. Uh, Cecil Popjoy, who was a great footballer and everything, he's over in Nova Scotia. He released three or four CDs. There's loads of stuff was going on. Whatever was in the water in the 60s. And it was it, it set us all set us all Fantastic. going then. And myself and Sean, Sean sort of stayed friends in and out sort of thing for the last mm. 40, 50 How years. How important you know. was he in the context of, you know, the, the traditional music and that whole thing? Absolutely important, especially around because Jerry when we were growing up there were no singers in Drogheda there was very there was no musicians in Drogheda either and Irish music was really despite what I'm after saying was sort of looked down on you know the, the diddly eye stuff it came on great later on now with with moving hearts and planksty and, and all yes. that stuff you know but at that time there was Valvi Hoy who played who played the squeeze box for the odd Cayley dance and things like that but there were no singers and uh, we met Mrs Carberry in 1964 at the inaugural meeting of the Old Drogheda Society because Sean's mother was a terrific historian. Moira. Moira. And she wanted some young people there. So myself and Sean were there and a few of us. We were only in our teens sort of thing, you know. We met Mrs Carberry and we met Molly Reed, who's Nano's, Nano's uh, sister. sister. So the Molly artist, had the pub yeah. over on James yeah. Street. And uh, Mrs Carberry knew that we were interested in music at the time. She said, come on down. We were too young to go into the pub, so she kept us in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where it started. And Carby's have been on that. And unfortunately, it's closed down now, Jerry, as you know, yeah. in the last year or two. Arnie wasn't too well and stuff. So it just uh, the, scent, the whole heart was pulled out of the, yeah. the tradition in the town. Mm. But Sean had uh, the inside track. He moved to Dublin when we went to university and stuff and got involved with, uh, with a lot of uh, traditional people up there. And then in the 70s, we set up the, the, the Fail in the Bonyas. There's, there's a committee of about 30 people. You know, and then there were all the mothers were making all the soup and the bread and various things, and there was uh, concerts all over the place. Yeah. They were this. This was goes down, It has gone down in history. The, the couple of failures that we ran yes. in the mid seventies as huge. Now Sean had the inside track on all the great musicians and singers. It was one of the biggest singer singers festivals ever. Yes. In the country. I was in the O'Reilly's for, uh, I used to run the bar in the O'Reilly's, Jerry, at the time. <laughs> and I was there. I was actually, I, said, I was in the short pants at that stage. <laughs> uh, I probably shouldn't have been behind the bar. But anyway, I was. And I can remember Paul Brady and Andy Irvine headlining the, the major right. concert of that event. You'd remember that Absolutely. yourselves. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Yeah. Because we needed to get in the few bob as well to pay for these <laughs> poor men coming down from, from, from Derry and from yeah. up from, from yeah. uh, the, the Dacia down in, in, in yes. Waterford and Kerry and so Sean was you know a driving it, force behind that. Jerry O'Connor, come in, tell me what's what about you and and this uh, great man. Well, Jerry's just reminded me of my first time coming down to Drogheda yeah. was when was uh, with, through Sean Corcoran probably because we were, my, my late wife Edna and I we were musicians and we weren't even going out probably for the first in 1976. But we met actually in Sean Corcoran's house then on New Year's Eve, 1977. And we married soon after, well, the following year. And uh, we often spent a lot of time around Drada because the failure, failure was a big p- part of, of our life as well. Um, Jerry mentioned there about all the singing. But I found that I was from Dundalk and well, my mother taught the fiddle for years up there. So it was 45 years. So I felt that Dundalk provided the musicians and Drada provided the venues and the audience. That's, yes. the, that's the way it worked for us. Yes. That's, the way, that's the way I saw it. Yeah, you know? fantastic. So with Sean, Sean and I would go back a long way like that. And um, mm. we we're very lucky to have to spend time with him. 
Um, I'll play a few tunes and maybe I'll play a tune yeah, just, just when we're here Jerry was taking yeah. three Jerry's but why not play a tune called Jerry's Beaver Hat <laughs> <laughs> Let's be having, and this is a taste of what's going to be on next weekend yeah. at this wonderful weekend away you go Jerry Fod. Fantastic, oh Jerry's, Jerry. Jerry's beaver hat. I never had a song in all the years <laughs> I'm sitting in this seat played for, you know, the name Jerry, which this is a real first today. There you go. There you go. Well done to you. I love it. I don't know what it is. I think about the fiddle, the violin or whatever. It's just such a wonderful, wonderful instrument, yeah, we're, isn't we're, it? We're and you know, here we are. Jerry calling me, said, tapping the feet and getting going. There's something in it, isn't it? Isn't what is it? That's just energy, there's buzz, there's just and good satisfaction in, in, in the music, you know. It's, and it's relatively easy to follow if you get the basic pattern of it. And it's great dance music. I was a dancer, actually, was just talking there. We, an old friend of ours passed away, John. Was it Sean? The dance, the, your teacher? Johnny oh, it was Greg, Gregory, Johnny Gregory. Johnny and his wife used to have me down yes. and drop the plane for dance fit. Bernie and Johnny, yeah, like yeah, Bernard, yeah. yeah. And I played in Drogheda Professions again. Drogheda was always very good to me like that. Yes. And we always had a good time at that. So he's, he just passed away lately. Yeah, yeah. and, and you're, you're here next weekend. You're part I'm of playing, this, yeah, Jerry. We're, yeah. we're part of this festival. Uh, there's a bunch of fiddle players. I see Edel McWeeny, an old friend of mine, uh, was playing. Um, well, we have Donald Lunny and Andy Irvin's playing as well. Mairead Mooney, another great fiddle player from Donegal. She was over at a festival there. My son plays with Mary Wallopers. They're all over in Tuner there. And then <laughs> last week. I was talking to them only the week before last. Yeah. They're some boys. My, my, boys. my son plays great the pipes boys. with them. Well, I can yeah, tell Finian, you, Finian. those fellas are special. That, that, they really lads, are, yeah. yeah. yeah Harry Bradley's on as well. And a great flute player from Belfast. And uh, Brita Kevill, she's doing a teaching workshop on a Saturday afternoon. So that should be interesting. She's from Clare. Mm. Uh, I mentioned Jesse Smith. And Neil Martin recorded with us. And he recorded with Sean way back on the, on the first Cran Records. Uh, Sean and De- Desi Wilkins with, with Sean's band. Yeah. So there's a good, good gang of the people The line-up is terrific. Like yeah. The events, Jerry, are so varied and, you know, there are workshops, there are talks, there is music, there is concerts. It's an all-encompassing weekend mm-hmm. and I just want to tell uh, listeners today, uh, go on to social media, Instagram, Sean Cochran Series, Twitter, uh, it's uh, twitter.com SCS Loud, that's on Twitter, twitter.com SCS Loud and on Facebook again, it's the Sean Corcoran series. All the information there. There are so many events. We'd be here till the end of the show, actually talking uh, about them. Um, what put this afoot? What, what, what you know? Why, why do this festival? Who's behind it? Well, the, the main, uh, the, the 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 single person who's behind the whole thing is Sean's daughter, Rosa. Rosa. Yeah. And Rosa got in touch with us, and we're we're really just filling in. We're just really doing what I told, uh, what we're told, <laughs> uh, uh, Jerry, appearing appearing here and there, and uh, like the Saturday night is a, is a huge con. I mean, John Banville, one of my favourite writers, oh, now yes. is coming down to do do a reading as well. Uh, Mairead and Trinity Gondal, you know, I know them since they were 
since they they were since they were very like back in the 60s as well you know yeah. and uh, they're, they're just just a fantastic lineup on Saturday night in St Peter's up on the hill uh, St Peter's Church. What so a church for acoustics! Absolutely, absolutely unbelievable. So it's just fantastic. So Rolfs put, is putting the whole thing together, and uh, there are various things. Now I'm also singing on a bus on uh, Sunday afternoon, going out to Baltray from from uh, <laughs> from Millmount, uh, because uh, there's a song called "The Wedding of Sweet Baltray," which will take the full. It will take about an hour to sing and an hour, about an hour to get forty six verses, isn't it? <laughs> I'll sing the short version of it here. There's only 18. <laughs> but I do want to mention Loud County Council and Creative Ireland who are right. backing this whole event as well. We've got to acknowledge their support yeah. for it as well. Would this become an annual thing, do you think? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure what Rose's what Rose, what Rose's plans yes. plans are. Yeah. Just to mention a couple of the other, like Sean Faulkner is involved, Paddy Paddy Brannigan is involved, yeah. and Brendan Matthews, one of our fine yes. historians. Brendan is, is is going to do some talking as well, and so people will have to look up the the um, the bits and pieces that you're after mentioning. The whole Jeff. program the is whole on program. social media: yeah. Sean Corkin series, Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. SCS that's Sean Corkin series. Loud, you will get it there. Are you going to sing a song for me, Mister I'll Cullen? Sing you a bit of song. You can pull the plug on me now if you think it. If you think no, no, this, no, when no, I hit it the twelfth, no, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just bear in mind. But Jerry Cullen, it's great to have you back. Of course, member of the Voice Squad, legendary family in town. What are you going to sing for us? I'm going to sing uh, the local version or Marianne Carolyn's version, Pop Usher's version of uh, the Wild Rover. And uh, this was uh, this was one of the things that was recorded by Sean uh, initially was we, we through various people we got to know the the, the Carolins out in in the Hill of Rath, and uh, Mary Ann Carolyn uh, produced her first album when she was in her seventies. So there's hope for, for well, everybody. Well, well, maybe not me, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, that hope went years ago. Don't worry about that. And uh, the brother was she was an usher. Papa yes. Papa usher was her brother, and he sang this uh, the, this uh, particular version of the Wild Rover as well, Jerry. So. The floor is yours, Jerry Cullen. I've been a wild rover this many's the year. And I've spent all my money drinking ale and strong beer. But now for the future, I will take a better care. In case that misfortune might fall to my share. While the roving I'll give it over. While the roving give o'er. And I ne'er will be called the wild rover no more. I went into an alehouse I used to resort. And I told the landlady my money was short. When she heard of my story, to me she did say, I can have many customers like you any day. While the roving I'll give it over, while the roving give o'er. And I ne'er will be called the wild rover no more. 
If I had all the money I placed in your care, it would till all my lands and my family rare. It would thatch all my houses, it would build me a barn, it would buy me a coat for to keep my back warm. Wild roving I'll give it over, wild roving give o'er. And I ne'er will be called the wild rover no more. Woo! It gets sweeter with the years, may I say, Mr. <laughs> Cullen. Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You have the most brilliant voice, may I say. The Sean Corcoran series, Drogheda, next weekend. Check it out across social media. Today, you've been listening to the wonderful Jerry Cullen and Jerry O'Connor. Thank you, boys, for joining Thanks, me. Sir. Thank, Thank you. you. Knock, knock. Who's there? That's how it works. It's called comedy. Comedy. Comedy, comedy. Comedy, sir. Comedy. Classic comedy. Classic comedy. On the late lunch. I love comedy. The royal family are celebrating 25 years since it first appeared on our TV screens. And I have to say, it's one of my favourite, most favourite comedy sitcoms of all time. Let's dip into it. Cheryl, the next door neighbour to the Royals, has brought her new boyfriend to visit them. Jim, the dad, is in the kitchen and he's having a conniption about the remote control when son-in-law Dave, Dopey Dave, arrives to make a brew. Alright, Jim, what are you doing in here? Having your bloody head. No what? The Queen of Bloody Sheba in there had only stolen the batteries out of me bloody remote control. What for? To fan that bloody self, that's what for. So I had to sit for an hour and watch location, location, low bloody station. Well, why don't you just turn it over at the telly? Because that's what she wants, can you see that? Me up and down like a blue-ass fly. She's the puppet master, pulling his things up and down, up and down. She's got Barbara wiping her ass and plucking her bloody chin every half an hour and everyone else has to empty her back because she's too lazy to go for a bloody piss. And do you know what the crafty old cow's done, the wicked old witch? She stole the bloody batteries out of my bloody remotes. You know what? Everything in this house bloody revolves round there now. I've not noticed. You've not noticed? Bloody hell, lad. She's been lying flat on her back for the last six months where we used to sit and have our tea. And you haven't noticed? Bloody hell, Dave. You go in here and... You tell Barbara I will not step foot in that room until I get me bloody batteries back in that. <sighs> Barbara? Yeah? Jim says he's not stepping foot in that room till he gets his batteries back. Oh, you see what I mean, Denise? Well, you can tell him to get off his big fat ass and go and get the batteries from the shop. She said... You can get off your big fat ass and go and get the batteries from the shop. Will you tell it if I do have to go to the shop and buy batteries that have been stolen from my bloody remote, I won't be coming back. Barbara? Yeah? One gone. What do you say again, Jim? If I have to 
go to the shop and buy the bloody batteries that have been stolen, go to my remote, I won't be coming back. He says if he has to go to the shop, he's never coming back. Well, tell him if he thinks more of his remote control than it is of his own family, he needn't bother coming back. She said... I know what she said! I'm not bloody deaf, Dave! I heard it! I heard it, you bloody bitch! Go on! Piss off! I think he's mad at me now, Barbara. Oh, ignore him, Dave. Ignore him, babes. You all right, Derek? It's always a little bit awkward on a first date, isn't it? What do you say? You can give me the dreams that are mine anyway. Half the world away. Half the world away. Half the world away. I've been lost, I've been found, but I don't feel bad. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Friday afternoon. Time to chew the cud with our women. And I'm delighted to welcome to the show today, you know one of them really well. You know both of them really well on Late Lunch. Kira Burke, welcome back. And Sinead Burke of Burke's Banter fame is with us today for Opinions. Your first time, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Jerry. Thanks for dropping in. And Kira, great to see you again too. Let's throw the ball in, um, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Mrs Vera Pau, who took Ireland to the World Cup Finals... Yeah, no great surprise in this. We knew it was coming. Was released by the FAI. No renewal of contract. And she's come out today and issued a statement of her own. Um, as women and supporters of the Irish women's soccer team and proud of them. What's your, what, what's your thoughts on this, Kira Burke? Well, I, um, first of all, I think that she had made, uh, had she not contracted in her, that she would have a second term uh, before the World Cup started. I thought that was signed and sealed and delivered. But now because they have... They didn't come home in the World Cup. I mean, like, we're a small nation. Vera has brought Ireland to the World Cup. My God, she has done an amazing job. But you know what, Jerry? Strong woman. Men don't like her. Hmm. End of story. Sorry, she's not one of the boys. Men don't like her. And she was fantastic. And either the, the committees got to the girls and the girls then... But, like, you have to be tough to get to the World Cup. You have to be a tough, and you have to be tough woman in, in, in the world of men and, you know, sport to get your, your team on the road. So this is just, a, it's a disgrace. She she was in negotiations. They parked it sort of with the World Cup and then it took a different story altogether. Sinead Burke, what, what part did the players play in this? You know, it started with Katie McCabe when she gesticulated to her during a match and it took legs from there. Player power has got rid of her partly too, has it? Yeah, I'd look, at. I think all over this, the optics are really bad, Jerry. to be honest with you. I mean, the FAI, we could talk all day about their long history of you know, questionable governance and questionable administration. And I think this is another example of it, that the house just isn't right. Um, like, I was only thinking when I was coming in here this evening, we, we send our young lad to soccer every week. And look, at he's grand. He tips around on it. But we're not sending him to play soccer and learn soccer. We're, play, we're sending him to develop team skills, to develop respect for the ref, respect for the manager to, you know, have your other players' backs, be ready for your game. You know, all these other secondary things that are just as important as the skills on mm. the match. And what we're not seeing on this is sportsmanship or sportswomanship. 
to be honest. Not one of the team, to the best of my knowledge, came out and thanked Vera for the work that she has Mm -hmm. done. Like, it's not going to break anyone's momentum. I know they're all in different countries now. I think a lot of them are are going back to their own clubs. But they all have two minutes in their day to send a tweet. Well, Mm -hmm. you know what? That is a great point to make. Absolutely. And you've made me aware of something now. That is so true, it is. She's been hard done by. Kira says, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. It's, you know, it's it's, it's hard to believe where we go from here. We also have, we also have the egos of a lot of girls and boys would happen to them too, uh, that... They've been celebrated by families, friends. They've been, you know, put up on pedestals that they've never been on pedestals that they've never got before. And she has made that happen for them. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And now she there. It's like, you know, stabbing her in the back again. And and that's the thing, Kira, because if you're part of a team, you have to understand the hierarchy of a team. Absolutely. Your manager is your manager. Mm-hmm. And you all have to, whether you agree with them or disagreement, yeah. it's like, do you know, when you were reared, you were told never fight in the street. Mm. You know, if you have a disagreement with your brother or your sister, you come home and you you have it out in the kitchen, but you do not fight the street. And this player saying this, that and the other while the championships was going on about Vera Powell, it it wasn't... I said it yesterday here. If players start uh, having the say over managers, well, we can just all pack up the tents and go home, to be honest with you. Let's stay on on the sporting and the soccer team. The kiss... It started with a kiss. I just think of hot chocolate. Never thought it would end like this. I'm sure the Spanish FA president is saying. What do you make of what happened? I'll, throw, I'll, I'll say something to both of you here. And maybe this is a little bit controversial. In the heat of the moment, the passion of winning the World Cup, he put his lips to one of the players' lips. And should he not have just come out and said... I made a mistake. Sorry, I got carried away. Would that have put totally, an end to it? Totally, I totally agree with you. I think this has been, and I, it's such a shame that this has been the story and not the Spanish girls that have won the World yes. Cup. This is a disgrace again. And I just, like, the it, the story should be about the girls and the story should not be about, oh, here we go. And, and who, who, I mean, I don't even know who started this, but like, the girl herself who was who was kissed, I, it was definitely a moment of of excitement of I mean, who wouldn't be thrilled? Who wouldn't be thrilled? And like, you know what? But I think I think he should have just said, Look, I'm sorry I upset I upset you. I'm sorry that I upset yes. you here. He should have done that. Why didn't he need to do that? It would have been all over. I think so. What do you think, Sinead? Yeah. He could have closed this down within hours. Say, look at I lost the head there, you know, it, in, the, in a moment of excitement mm. I'm terribly sorry now we'll all stop talking about the kiss and well done the girls and yeah. then it's on to the open top yeah. buses and the bottles of champagne and the whole lot that they would rightly deserve but none of that seems to be happening because we're all talking about this flipping Egypt and his mammy on hunger strike in the church who I'm led to believe was actually hospitalised on Wednesday. She was. So, I mean, there's kind of like Enoch Burke vibes coming like off he's, this whole He thing. hasn't been, he hasn't, he's he's no saint, seemingly. I mean, he's been a bit of a devil over the years, whatever. Like a good clip over the year, the mother should have given him instead of going on a <laughs> hunger strike. But, uh, no, it should have been, he should, like, why did, was he not advised to just come out and say sorry? Mm. Like, I, I think why? It is this been. again this again more men against women and oh here's the women giving out again here we go women are all you know making us out to be like if he had just said look I made a mistake but women are here now being made out to be oh my god here's the feminists coming and, out and again and then the mob bailing yes it's, it's, not, it's yes. not just about let me say I'm not just saying about this but this is what happens the mob bailing it could be me or a man tomorrow or something else a woman tomorrow and the mob bailing yeah. you know this yeah. thing 
everything in yeah. life now, Sinead. Yeah. Yeah. You're cancelled. And, and the only thing is that's kind of heartening is looking at the demonstrations in Spain and um, the kind of support that the team have and rightly have around the world, actually, to be mm. honest with you. Mm. But especially in Spain, that the Spanish people and the Spanish fans are firmly behind their team. And they yes. really want yeah. him gone. But they should be, they should be, yeah, they want him gone. But like, there was no need for him to be gone. Gone. Yeah. No need for it. It could have been handled certainly much, much better. Watch this space. Both those stories rolling. I'm just watching the television behind you there. And Vera Pau is on there at the moment on the RT news feed giving an interview. I'm sure there's going to be more about that over the coming days. Uh, the carnage on Irish roads. We've mentioned it here the last few days. Some awful tragedies, especially in Tipperary. But motorcyclist, a little child the other day. 25 more deaths as of yesterday compared to the same period in 2022. Sinead Burke, what, what, what's the reason? What's happening? Why is this? I, look, I, I don't know what the reason is, but what I would question is, I, and, uh, look, was it because we were locked down for two years? Did we all kind of forget how to drive or we forgot how to behave on drive? On, look, we don't know the ins and outs of any of those yes, particular of course, crashes, number of course. one. And we're, right? not, we're not carrying, 100%. putting any dispersions on anybody. No, no. God help them, God, their families and everything we think of. Oh, 100%. I'm just talking day to day when yeah. me or you or Kira yes. are out driving. I do notice that people are driving a little with a little less care than maybe they used to. I don't know whether blaming lockdown is an easy get out. I don't know. But I'm firmly of the opinion that driving skills like swimming and like financial management, no child in secondary school should be allowed to do their junior cert until they know those three things. Okay, that's your view in terms of teaching life skills in education. The roads, what about the carnage? Yeah, it's just heartbreaking for all of those families. But at the same time, the the a lot of them were single car accidents. I just couldn't understand that. And the only explanation I could come up with was: Are people getting text messages? Are they getting sudden? You know, are they being distracted too much? Are there is their phones being like? I'm not saying that they were on the phones, but if you get a text message and something beeps and you kind of look at it and you're taken off the road for two seconds, oh. like th- like that's a huge thing. Like, yeah. and that's something that we haven't had really. Like, it's it's only really coming up all the smartphones should they nearly talk to you now yeah they need to drive the car for you but um, is that is that a reason it's funny you say that because Louise said to me she has a view about that that's only get, get worse because WhatsApp now being a yeah. big thing as well it'll yeah. distract your attention yeah. we are running the rule over of the uh, hot topics of the day with the Burks Sinead and Kira this afternoon just while before we leave the road thing um, roadworks roadworks an awful lot of people complaining about roadworks everywhere why why does happen when schools go back have you, have you do they do this on purpose Sinead Burke do they do you know what Jerry? when I was on the council years ago I used to be always amazed how different departments and different agencies didn't speak to one another so if you had say broadband water electricity the NTA, so the bus stops, the whole lot, and then other council landscaping and everything that was going on. Everybody was working in silos. So it was very possible that somebody could pull up outside Kira's restaurant mm. and say, we're putting down the high-speed broadband this week. Mm. That's roadworks. Then two weeks later, the electricity lads arrive. We're doing this. All important services, mm. but nobody seems to talk to one another. And in other countries, they actually go in and they say, right, what needs to be done in this particular patch of road? Right, we need the broadband. We'll have you in. And what can who can work around you at the same time? And it condenses the amount of time 
that motorists and pedestrians are inconvenienced with roadworks. So no joined up thinking, no joined up cooperation between the various. You think that's a big contributing factor. It's just that I notice uh, they did big works where I am on the on the north side. Of there's a huge development going on there. And I thought they packed up, you know, before the schools returned. I thought, great, at last somebody's you. Guess what? The first day they were back. Start again. <laughs> they arrived again. I couldn't yeah. believe it. You know what I mean? Sinead makes a valid point. Oh, no, absolutely. And, fr- and from experience too. And, and absolutely. And and I would completely agree with her. There is no joined up thinking. And the other thing is that they're looking at their budgets toward the end of the year and they want to get them all, all done. And it'll be done from now till Christmas and we'll be all given out because the kids... Christmas, shoppers, love. Yeah. it'll all be done around that time. So, but the joint up thinking, like they have to talk to each other. Mm. And you know another thing, may I suggest, work through the night. Now I do know in some places they are doing that now, you know, and allow peak times to flow. Yeah, yeah. That'd be a bit of logic, wouldn't it as well? A hundred percent. As long as, and unfortunately it, it's experience speaking here, Local residents, if it's a residential area, then obviously somebody has to go out and be a liaison there and say, look, lads, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll be ploughing all the way through. But at the end of the day, we're cutting so many days Mm. out of the world. And the other thing is, Jerry, get us mothers off the roads and get the kids on their bikes. Like there's only 3% of people, um, 3% of kids cycling now. And I know everyone's saying, oh, the roads are too busy. But if the mothers weren't on them freaking roads they wouldn't be too busy yeah. so if we could get kids walking and cycling it would make them all the whole weight obesity thing that whole argument could be it could we were be talking about well. it yesterday so on the it's show another, yeah. it's another that, conversation that, that information came yeah. out yesterday and it is it is uh, very pointed I- indeed um, thank you for your comments to the show 086-1800-658 by whatsapp or text uh, a listener there saying it is a disgrace agree with you in relation to Vera Pau the FAI should be ashamed of themselves some of the players too as was mentioned uh, they are players they're not the management as you said Jerry. the day the players dictate about the manager football is finished and thanks indeed there are more comments there along those lines all actually supporting Vera Pau which is, mm. is interesting indeed um, a listener's just been on to me to say Jerry, keep on talking you're doing great the NTMA rates are on the rise uh, for bonds and for the savings as well this has been a bugmare of mine for on the show for a while about the paltry interest rates yeah, being paid ridiculous. by the banks I hope that's right because I said this uh, Kira. The government have the state savings. All you have to do is rise them. Yeah. Banks have to follow then at that stage. I see today AIB and EBS have followed Bank of Ireland. They're not huge rises. They're not breaking their hearts, no, are they? No, but it would get more people interested in, in saving and yes. in, in keeping money in the country. And But they have to do, like, they have to do a radical, radical measures there because nobody wants, like, they're getting nothing out of them. Yeah, and nothing for years there. No. What do you think? You know, we, we saved the banks, Sinead. You know, we had to step in, rescue them when they were gone virtually. And now there's little return. You know, people who have a little nest egg and the few pound each year just keeps it at a level. A hundred percent. hundred. Look, at when you say, when they say that, you know, the different banks are, are raising the interest rate, so what? Mm. Big deal. It's not enough. I just, I'm, I am one of the squeezed middle. And the majority of your listeners are the squeezed middle. And we are just being hammered relentlessly. And it just makes me so angry. We are the people that will not get grants when our kids go to college. We are the people who you're nursing ear aches and all ailments because you're trying to not spend the money to go to the mm. GP. Uh, do you know? And yeah. we're the ones that and we're just not getting a fair deal from this government. We're really not. I mean, 
bring back the old SSIA. Now, they were brilliant. Fantastic. We were, bu- we were yeah. building our house at that time. And I can tell you now, we have a lovely front door. And our lovely front door was paid for by my SSIA account. Charlie McCreevy, the man who brought well, them my in. kids are going to college because of my SSIA account. Yes. You know, so like if, if people had that encouragement and look at the money that the government will generate yes. and that will be spending it all back in the, into the country and will, you know, like everyone say, saved and it's like they can use that money while the savings are going to make money for themselves yeah. and then they'll probably make that money to, to return it back to everyone. So today on Late Lunch, we are calling on the minister, Mr McGrath, listen to us. Bring back the SSIAs and encourage people to save again. I like that. I really do. Talking about increases, there's one uh, you will not welcome, Kira Burke. Uh, the VAT rate is going up from 9%. It's already gone up, Jerry. It's from midnight last night. So I spent last night uh, adjusting my tills uh, because I'm after absorbing so much cost with increases in food, increases in energy. uh, Like I I have 37 members of staff who are all going to be looking for an increased... um, like come to uh, Thursday and it's payday it's like there's a lot of days I don't get paid myself because you're trying to duck and dive and whatever and people think that when you have a business oh they must be rolling in it whatever when, if you're paying your taxes and your thing and you have to have and the revenue are way way they're ahead of everyone else you cannot get away with one cent mm. and the VAT increase I've had to put up my prices in line with the the four. what's it gone to from nine? it's gone to thirteen and a half okay it's gone to thirteen and a half so, so you're saying to me basically this is going to squeeze businesses it's going to squeeze businesses but I mean people who aren't putting it on uh, like like in January we're going to get a, a minimum wage increase now do you think that the minimum wage like very few of mine are minimum wage I'd have chefs I'd have you know yes. experienced staff. And they'll all be looking. If the minimum wage is increasing, they're going to be looking for the same yeah. percentage increase. Quid pro quo. Quid quo, pro quo. And it's only fair that they would be. Mm. But like how, like, how do they expect us to pay it? Sinead. Yeah, I, I, I don't see the, the, ju- the sense or the justification in this, to be perfectly honest with You'd you. You'd have kept it. I mean, Kira knows this better than any of us here. Mm. Sitting, but I mean, I can only imagine staff retention, um, wages, the price of food going up, your energy bills and the whole lot. And then in a sector that's largely dependent on tourism as mm. well. And we've thrown so much at the Wild Atlantic Way, the mm. uh, what are we in the, the northeast? The, uh, Ireland's ancient east. Ireland's ancient east. But you know, yeah. and, and then you, you go on Twitter and social media and you see these uh, till receipts in Temple mm. Bar for 80 euro for mm. a couple of pints or whatever it is. Oh, well, you and you kind of think, jeepers creepers, if I you know, don't get mugged on the streets of Dublin, you'll get mugged when you go in and buy a round. Uh, the, the view is that it's going to be difficult. Listen, we're going to run out of time. You want to mention something about the CAOs, Kira? Yeah, okay. So just a quick note for people. Um, my daughter got her CAO result, or she got her leaving cert results. Very good points. Um, she, she has. She got good points, but when she was doing her CAO, she was tied up with all of the five hundred points and the fabulous courses, and you can go to UCD and DCU, whatever, and it's all. And she put down very high points. She didn't get very very high points. She got she got average points, and she she did very well. Yeah, but she got no CAO offers. No offer. No offers because she hadn't. She hadn't considered yes. anything in the medium points yes. range. Like she was like, no, I want to go there. So I said, OK, so we can go to Diffie to do a PLC and we'll see if we can get them next year. But then I was listening to the radio yesterday and they said that there is a places, available places list 
and it was published yesterday of all of the courses that are available now to still apply for. So she applied for them last night with the points that she has and she is way over the points that are needed for some of these courses. Level 8 courses, level 7 courses. So if anyone is has missed out on their their thing, please look at the available places list on CAO and you can apply up until uh, the the second round offers are coming out on the 11th. So you've plenty of time. So go for today. Grant and she's got our place. Have to leave it there. Thanks so much. Really enjoyed your company to the Burks Kieran Sinead till the next time thank you okay we need one more to go into the hat now for the big prize on late lunch uh, this week it's table for six at the four star Pilo Hotel and Spa in Ashburn for their Christmas party nights with an 80s and 90s theme it's worth over 400 euro Anne-Marie Neary Ruby Grendon Marguerite Murphy Jenny O'Brien let's have a listen to the uh, number one here for a moment I'm not here to say I'm sorry I love that song because you see that was a song the year Drogheda won the FAI Cup and we'll always remember it and please God we'll win it again sometime in the future. Anyway, it was of course Mr Shane Ward, Karina O'Malley, you are now in the hat. Well done to you. You've come out. Thanks to everybody who entered. So in the hat now, number one is Anne-Marie Neary, two, Ruby Grendon, three is Marguerite Murphy, for Jenny O'Brien and number five, just the final qualifier there, is Karina O'Malley. Louise and Karen have the numbers. I don't have them. They have them next door. You swish them one. all about. Swish them around there, ladies. And will mm-hmm. you pick one at random, please? And tell me who wins this great prize for Christmas at the Pila. What number is it? OK, Karen has done the, er- the honours so right. she can get the blame. OK, it's number... It is number... One. Number one, Monday's winner, Anne-Marie Neary from Mulla. You're going to the Pila Hotel for one of the big Christmas party nights with five of your friends. Well done to you. For more details on the party nights there, check out pilahotelashburn.com forward slash Christmas parties. Well done to everybody. Thanks to those who got into the shortlist. But congratulations overall to Anne-Marie Neary, our winner today. Now, TV theme, this was it today. Ah, Campo, Foggy, Clegg, Nora Batty. I'm talking about, of course, last of the summer wine I was looking for. And well done to Lawrence Skelton. You got the answer right, as did many, many others. It just shows you very fondly it is remembered. Anyway, Lawrence, the prize is yours on its way to you as we speak. And thank you to everybody again. Now, let's do the top five countdown. Five, four, three, two... One. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number one from this very week in 1998. And it's uh, recorded by Welsh alternative rock band The Manic Street Preachers. Released in August 1998. Sold a ball of singles in the first week and made it to number one in the charts. Yes, it's The Preachers, our number one. And if you tolerate this... 
Manic Street Preachers, number one from this week in 1998. If you tolerate this. Incidentally, inspired by the Welsh volunteers who joined the left-wing International Brigade fighting for the Spanish Republic against Franco. There you go, the history of the song there. Our number one in top five countdown. It's soccer all the way uh, today with David Sheehan. We're going to zip through the games. David, welcome back. Dundalk at home this evening, uh, big game. Yeah, they need to start picking up some wins, uh, just two in their last five. And at the minute, they're four points off fourth and indeed third, Derry and third, Bowes and fourth. So if their European you know, prospects are to improve, they need to start winning these matches. And we're getting into the running now. The only thing you know in their favour at Dundalk is that they have not the worst of run-ins. They've Cork at home, they've Drahad at home, Shelburne away, Sligo away, Bohemians, which won't be easy at home, and then UCD away. So they do have games there that they can win in the run-in. But yeah, it's a big one for them tonight. They need they need to get they probably need to get a win tonight. A draw wouldn't be the worst against Derry City, but they can't really afford to lose any ground on, on Bowes and Derry ahead of them. So a win will be crucial tonight for that European spot. They have a good record against Derry. Yeah, Derry haven't won they've only won twice there, I think I was reading earlier on in the last, I don't know, seven or eight years. So they've a decent record at Oriel against them. And uh, you know, they were a bit unlucky against Shamrock Rovers last week. Probably should have come away from that game with something. So Pat Hoobin didn't start that game last week, came off the bench. So if he's fit to start tonight I'd give them a good chance because Derry are a bit up and down, you know. Mm. And the only the only thing is Derry are well used to playing on a plastic pitch as well, so that might work in their favour. But uh, I think Dundalk, um, yeah, I think they might just they might get a win there. It could be one of those special nights at Oriel. Drogheda home to UCD. You'll be there. You saw them last week. Have a poor first half, but the sending mm. off for Cork really did turn the game last week. But by God, did Drogheda take advantage of it? It was a huge win. Now you wouldn't want to slip up tonight against UCD. No, and I was looking at it earlier. They've only won back-to-back games in the league once this season. Now, they have won a game in the league and a game in the Cup, so they have a couple of consecutive wins to their credit. But in the league, they've only done that once. Massive result last week, and I was delighted with the way they went after the game. Like You could you could sense that they they knew what an important game that Cork game was. And once the Cork, once Cork went down to 10 men, Drogheda really, really put their foot to the floor. Now, they could have, they could have got caught at the other end. Rory Keating hit the post, but they really made that advantage count. Uh, absolutely stunning goal from Aaron McNally to put them ahead, and then probably a dicey enough penalty at the end, but they won't complain too much about that. I think if they win tonight, they're, they're as good as safe. Kevin Doherty wouldn't admit that. He, he will say until it's mathematically secure, but I think with Cork playing Sligo tonight as well, I think if Drogheda win that game tonight, that would move them up onto 35 points and, you know, five points clear of Sligo as things stand um, and a good bit clear of Cork as well. You know, 11 clear of Cork, depending on what happens in that Cork-Sligo game this evening. But I think with the way Cork have been going, their their form has been absolutely terrible and I don't see them making up that difference. Um, so I think if, Sly- if, if Draw had a win tonight, they're, they're almost there. Um, but let's hope they can get the job done. They've won every game against UC this season, three out of three. So let's hope it's four out of four tonight. I think it will be. Now on to the Premier League. Just two games quickly to look at there. Our uh, nemesis, uh, Arsenal, who drive you belubas whenever you think about the way they play at times. Drop points last mm. week at home to Fulham. Have Manchester United as visitors on Sunday. A big, big game. Can uh, Mr Tinkerman, he's known as now Arteta, get it right? Yeah, I, I'll be interested to see what sort of 11 he puts out. I'm not sure Partey at right back is, is really working for them at the moment. They've, they've sort of moved things around to fit Rice into the team. Manchester United, they signed Reggion from Tottenham, who was a player I completely forgot about. Hoyland could make his debut as well. And, you know, United scraped past Nottingham Forest last week. Arsenal obviously, you know, dropped points against Fulham in disappointing fashion at the end of that, up against 10 men in the, in the closing stages there as well. So 
think this is a really big game for Arsenal to to put down a marker and show that they're that they're serious about it. United are, aren't a great side at the minute. They'll be they'll make it difficult, but I think Arsenal should be expecting to win that one on home turf. People are talking now about Liverpool as the the real challengers or the prime challengers to Manchester City for the title this year. Aston Villa going well too. Is it a bit premature for Liverpool fans to get excited? Um, I mean, it's I suppose who's to say when it's premature for fans to get excited about anything these days. But certainly, you know, two wins and a draw so far this season. They've made a decent start. They've got uh, Ryan Gravenberch in from from Bayern. It looks like in the window as well. Not one hundred percent confirmed yet, but that looks like that's going to happen. Ex Ix player who hadn't really made the breakthrough at Bayern. So yeah, their midfield is looking good. I really like the look of Sabas in midfield, and they've looked they've looked decent so far. Villa, um, apart from that shellacking at Newcastle on the first day have looked really good. So this this promises to be a really exciting and a really entertaining game. Um, I think Liverpool just to nick it, but this one could be could be 3-2 or anything. I'd say it should be a cracking game because both sides like to go out and attack and play football. So I'm really looking forward to that one. They are the uh, two big games in the Premier League uh, this weekend. But don't forget, uh, Dundalk Derry, Drogheda UCD. If you're not going along, online here on LMFM Radio this evening, full commentary. David, until next week, thank you so much for joining me again. Thanks, Jerry. Take care. That's David Sheehan there, presenter of Sunday Sport and uh, looking ahead to the big soccer matches at home and across the water this weekend. That's almost it on Late Lunch for another week. want to say my thank yous as usual to you out there who listen each day and join in the chatter and get in touch with us when we're running competitions and stuff like that. We love to hear from you. Thanks indeed for your company each day. To all our guests who dropped in during the week and we spoke to, of course, over the phone, WhatsApp or whatever. Thank you indeed for taking part uh, in the show. And to my producer, Louise Walsh, I couldn't do it without her. Thanks a million, uh, Louise. Eddie Caffrey's getting ready to go with the drive here on LMFM Radio. Have a nice weekend. I believe the weather I've been telling you for a few days is to be nice this Saturday and Sunday. Fingers crossed for all going to an le- electric picnic as well. Enjoy that if you're heading there. But until Monday at 1.30 and a brand new week of late lunch. Have a nice one this weekend. Take care and do uh, join us on Monday afternoon. We'll see you then. Bye. Brought to you by Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.